Hey, good morning, everybody. And as I adjust my mic here a little, my headset, I should say. Sorry. I'm just going to adjust it here for a bit. There we go. And make everything, make sure everything is well and ready to go this morning. But yes, it is Thursday, February 13th, 2020, the day before Valentine's Day. And yes, I do have to work today. But I don't have to work for another uh, four, almost four hours and 24 minutes. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, basically, I don't have to work until uh, then to, um, you know, basically, I don't have to work until then to be able to do this. I'm not pressured or anything. I got basically a lot of stuff set up as we speak and ready to go right now i'm currently washing my uh, pants which i'm kind of probably have to get up and put into the dryer in a minute so you have to excuse me for that but i'm here to do a topics on my mind video yes that is why i'm here and we have a variety of topics to talk about today yes this morning i should say and i will list them as soon as i can um, basically I will list them and that's my washer doing a final spin cycle, but I will list them as best I can. So you guys can, um, give your opinions on them if you feel like it. So anyway, anyway, so what are the topics we are going to talk about today? What are the topics we are going to talk about uh, today? Well, there's a lot that has been going on over the past week in my... Sorry about that, excuse me. A little bit of an itch there. But there's been a lot of stuff going on over the past week. A lot of news. So... Let's get into it, shall we? Let's get into it, shall we? So, what is some of the things happening as we speak? Well, here are the list of topics we're going to talk about. First of all, I already did a video on this, and actually that video has gotten a lot of views. Maybe not as many as I would expect, but it's gotten a decent amount and a decent amount of reaction. And when I converted it to audio, basically took the link to the YouTube video posted onto a YouTube to MP3 site and converted it to audio and then uploaded that to my various podcasts, courtesy of anchor.fm, you know, places like Spotify, player.fm, radio public, Stitcher, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, you name it. Uh, breaker, uh, breaker.com breaker audio. That is uh, basically it's gotten a lot of reactions. As a matter of fact, I just, like I said, I posted it yesterday onto the podcast, and already it's gotten about six or seven playbacks in a long time. It's already gotten into the bars of the top uh, played podcast when it comes to my podcast series on my podcast channel. And uh, it's, again, it's really, and basically what I'm trying to say is it's gotten a lot of people talking. And that first topic we're going to get into 
is about Funimation slash TV Tokyo and the fiasco caused by the anime slash hentai, because that's what it is, interspecies reviewers and the backlash both sides, Funimation and TV Tokyo, as far as I know, are receiving. Now, what's funny is I messaged my YouTube video on it, as well as my podcast uh, adaption or version of my YouTube video to individuals like Animat, you know, Matt Burnett of Electric Dragon Productions, Jaime Two, James Sullivan, and Zara Nizarak of the Multimedia Chronicles. You know, Jaime Two, you know, James Sullivan being DJ Jaime Tude. And uh, like I said, Zara Nizarak of the Multimedia Chronicles. I tried to send it through Messenger to Phantom, to Phantom Strider. That didn't happen. So I tweeted it to him as well as I've tweeted it to people like Saber Spark and, and several others. And I don't know if they talked about this yesterday on a semi-perfect podcast, if somebody questioned Saber Spark, if he knew about it. But all I know is that this has been making the rounds. It really has. Malinimus has talked about it. Clownfish TV has talked about it. And I've talked about it and various others through podcasts, you know, editorials online and all that have talked about it. So we're going to talk about it again here on topics on my mind, which is also part of the uncut, unscripted, and uncensored podcast uh, that I also have, like I say, through the various podcast uh, venues. So get ready to listen to that if you feel like it, feel like it through that um, option if you don't want to watch the video. Uh, the second thing we're going to talk about is WWE 2K's future. Yes, after the fiasco, you know, speaking of fiascos, I should say, so basically after the fiasco of what they did with 2K20, what does the future hold for uh, WWE 2K? Uh, we're going to get into that in a moment. Third topic we're going to talk about is the Sunday Hitchcock movie and the franchise it could be producing, if not already has in the works, basically spit-offs, maybe sequels and all that. We're also going to talk about fictional Valentine's Day couples, legit versus implied. In other words, couples that are official and some that can be implied, if not interpreted, as somewhat being canonized in their properties. Number five, we're going to talk about the XFL and where we see it going and the news of its location for its championship game. We're also going to talk about finally, and the final topic, I should say, because there's only six topics we're going to talk about, is WrestleMania debuting at SoFi Stadium next year. So we're going to talk about all that uh, along with, we're going to talk about all that here on the topics on my mind. So stay tuned, guys. I will be right back.
Sorry about that, guys. I don't know if you overheard that or anything. I was just thinking to myself um, out loud what John Campy or John Campbell would say on his show if somebody asked him about the whole uh, topic that we're going to talk about. We're going to start off with here, and that's the Funimation fiasco. What would John Campa's, you know, initial reaction be to it? So anyway, let me just uh, adjust the mic there, make sure everything is good. Okay. Everything seems to be good. Just adjusting it, matching it up. Yeah, we're good. We are good. So getting into, so I'm back. I just put my uh, pants in the dryer. So let's get into this, shall we? I know we're about 10 and a half minutes in, so I do apologize. But let's get into these six topics here on the February 13th edition of Topics on My Mind, which we'll also be able to listen to via podcast, audio-wise, down later on. So let's talk about these various topics, shall we? And let's start off with, again, the one everybody, including myself, has been talking about. And that is the Funimation slash TV Tokyo fiasco caused by the anime slash hentai, because that's pretty much what it is, interspecies reviewers and the backlash both sides are receiving. Okay, so in case you guys uh, don't know, in case you guys don't uh, know what's happening, and I wouldn't be surprised if you didn't, uh, basically... Uh, Funimation, Funimation, uh, last year, uh, not last year, but, uh, earlier this year, uh, basically acquired the, the rights to the, uh, acquired this distribution rights, this distribution rights, easy for me to say. They acquired the distribution rights, distribution rights, I should say, uh, they acquired the rights, basically, to air slash simulcast interspecies reviewers on their channel and their various partners, like Amazon and, and all that. Well, yeah, they, you know, what I'm trying to get at is Funimation, I can understand, was trying to get more content for the service, for the channel, because they know there's a bunch of anime fans out there that will watch their network, will watch their streaming service, you know, because of anime, because they're fans of anime, period. And, you know, by watching it, you know, by watching it, by watching the site, they know a lot of these viewers and people are giving them, you know, high viewership with the anime that they watch. So they figured, what I'm trying to get at, is they figured, hey, we could do the same thing, or we could continue that momentum we have by basically, um, how do I put this, 
by basically adding on more content, which is a good thing. You want to add more content, and by adding more content, you get people to uh, basically um, continue to watch your service and want to see what you're going to do next. Well, even though they had good intentions, it's obvious somebody at Funimation did not do their job. They didn't. They did not do their job because basically because basically what how do I put this? Basically what they distributed from what a lot of people are saying and that's what I was looking for, distributing what they distributed was not your average anime. It wasn't. Now yes, it was based on a very popular manga But, but it wasn't the kind of manga that's for all eyes. No, it was the kind of manga that's meant for adults. Because some of the stuff involved in this manga, (laughs) let's put it this way, does not belong on the air during the day, no matter where you're from. Because when I talk about Funimation simulcasting interspecies reviewers, along with a lot of a lot of the other shows they have, what I mean is that simulcasting it, I believe, at the same time TV Tokyo is showing it on air. So, yeah, basically, basically, long story short, um, how do I put this? Funimation Don goofed, or as Angry Joe would put it, and excuse my language when I say this, they Don effed up. Yeah, they, along with TV Tokyo and a lot of their distributing uh, partners, and a lot, and uh, like uh, what I'm trying to say is, they, along with TV Tokyo and various other distributing uh, uh, partners or associate or um, sites or services they might be connected or associated with, they done all effed up. Why? Because basically, from what people have been talking about, this series was not your average, as I've been talking about, was not your average anime. This series was basically borderline softcore porn hentai. And a lot of the imagery, a lot of the, a lot of the imagery, if you will, or suggestive imagery, basically suggested that. It pretty much suggested that. And it's like, you know, everybody asks themselves, what was, what was Funimation's thinking? You know, what were they thinking, ladies and gentlemen? It's like, what were they thinking about going out and putting this on the air? simulcasting it along with TV Tokyo and all the other distributing partners and, uh, you know, you know, partners out there like Amazon and, and a few others. I can't think of, I think, uh, uh, TV MX, Tokyo TV MX or something. Uh, what were they thinking? Because this, this here from what people have talked about 
from what they've discussed, from the synopsis they put out, you know, it's like, this is an anime that does not belong in daytime or primetime. This is straight up hentai. Softcore hentai, but straight up. I mean, here's what I'm talking about. Funimation did not have any idea. Neither did TV Tokyo. None of them had any idea what they were distributing until they got later on into the series, which would be about, I would say, the third or fourth episode. And when they got to that point, they were like, oops, we made a mistake here. We are actually airing a freaking hentai. And it takes them three to four episodes to realize what they've done and gone and goofed with. Why? Because, according to what some people have pointed out, the third episode involves three of the main, the three main characters, the reviewers, if you will, going into this establishment. And basically, drinking a potion, if you will, drinking a potion, and going from one gender to another. Yeah. Going from one gender to another. And you have to ask yourself, okay, and now you might say, well, that's typical with anime. They, they do that. I'm not denying they don't. One Piece has done it. An anime like One Piece has done it. Nurotro, Nurotro, I should say, has done it with Nurotro himself. They've done this before. Anime has been known to do this, even with the mass, even with the mass, massly um, distributed mainstream anime. Like I said, like the ones I've mentioned, like Nurotro and One Piece, and even Dragon Ball and all that. They've all done this. But the point is, when it's done here, it isn't just done for the sake of the plot, which it is, I guess. But it's done because basically what happens is this establishment, it gives you what you're looking for, but it gives you it in a way that, well, let's just put it this way, a lot of softcore uh, a lot of softcore adult movies and series, live action, anime, whatever you want to call it, have been known to do to get your attention. And that's basically go the LGBTQ route. And I say that with all due respect, but that's the route they went. Because basically what happens is our three main characters get a gender change from male or hermaphrodite, as one of them is, believe it or not, to female, just to have lesbian sex so they could see which of the, which of the individuals are the best. Because basically, the synopsis here for this series is you have these th- two male characters, one human, one elf, and a hermaphrodite little angel. Yeah, a hermaphrodite little angel going from town to town, you know, broth to broth, 
or whatever it's called, Baroth, you know, has an L at the end. You know, erotic establishment, we'll put it that way, going from each erotic establishment to see which one has the best, we'll put it this way, waifu material to get it done, done you know, to get it done when it counts. So when they get to this episode, so when they get to that third episode where this happens to our main characters, the gender change, I think that's basically when they started to wake. I think, honestly, that's the episode that woke the people up at Funimation, TV Tokyo, and all the other um, streaming sites and partners they're associated with and made them realize, oh, crap, we've been showing a freaking hentai this whole time. Because the imagery that gets shown in that episode from what people have been talking about and discussing pretty much is all you need to know that this series the whole time was a hentai. That's all it was. That's all you needed. Now, I'm not saying that the other episodes before it or after it contributed to that as well. They probably mostly did. But the point is when you have an episode where the synopsis is, oh, by the way, our three main characters get a sex change through a courtesy of a magic potion, turns them into, turn, and it changes them from male to female or hermaphrodite to straight up female. You know, it's like, you know, what what more do you need? What more do you need? Now, again, I'm not saying that other animes haven't done this. Even Western animation series have done this. Live action series have done this. But the thing is, but the thing is, these these are done in ways that at least you know it's not going to go beyond any more than that. They might hint at it. They might tease it. But they don't go any further. This went straight all the way, if you know what I mean, from what was from what people were talking about. I mean, the term that Molinimus, people like Molinimus and Clownfish TV uh, use in their videos talking about it is the show being too spicy or hot or saucy for Funimation. I mean, Funimation had to come out and basically state that the reason they took the show or the anime off their off their lineup. It's due to the fact that it was, it did not meet their standards. And you know what's funny? What's funny is some people point out, well, wait a minute. Funimation has this anime called Citrus that's sort of in that same category. And yet they consider that to be in their standards, but not interspecies reviewers. You know, what the hey? And I could probably understand where they're coming from with that. But Citrus, from what I understand, doesn't go too far. They just imply it. They just imply that, yeah, there's going to be, there could be something happening later on between the characters. They don't pretty much come out and say that, or pretty much show what's going on. It's implied. But here, this, I think, when they got to the third or fourth episode, maybe even before that, is what basically made them realize, oh, this is not your average anime. This is a hentai. So, yeah, Funimation and TV Tokyo and all their other uh, associated partners, channels, streaming services, whatever you want to call it, 
They basically got a lot of egg on their face right now. They do. They got a lot of egg on, on their face right now that they have to wipe off. And, you know, whatever reputation they build up, whatever good reputation they build up in the past, they pretty much just flushed that down the toilet, you know, with this. Or they pretty much, okay, I wouldn't say they flushed it down the toilet. I would say, uh, what's the word we're looking for? They didn't burn the bridge. Um, what's that word I'm looking for? Um, they didn't burn it. They didn't scorch it. They, um, they seared it. They seared it. They did. They, they did something. They basically, I'll put it this way. They, it's kind of like when you touch a burner. By accident, when it's on, you kind of sear your hand. You know, kind of burn your hand, but it's more of a sear. That's the word I'm looking for. That's basically what they did. They basically, they burnt it, but they didn't destroy it. They basically damaged it. They damaged their reputation. Because now, nobody, let's say on the Tokyo side of things, is going to know whether or not that the show that follows uh, one show during the afternoon, during after-school hours is going to be appropriate or it's going to be erotic. They don't know. They don't know, you know, what it's going to be. So TV Tokyo, Funimation, and like I said, all their other fellow streaming sites and channel partners, whatever you want to call them, they have a lot. They definitely have a lot to a lot of repairing to do because that trust they had is pretty much damaged. It's like, if you want to trust them still, that's fine, but it's damaged now. And some people even gone on YouTube, one person's gone on YouTube and even said that Funimation ended their careers. Talking about, you know, this whole situation. And you know what's funny? I mentioned this at the beginning. I'm surprised Animat or Sabrespark has not talked about this yet. I'm pretty sure Animat, he's seen what I saw, what I... uh sent him through the Facebook Messenger. So I'm sure Animat's going to look into it now as well, because that's, it's at, you know, because here's the thing. Matt is an animation guy, and he loves anime. So looking into something like that, he's going to want to know what the heck happened if he hasn't reported it on it already. But yeah, basically it's, it's a situation to where um, sorry about that. If you had a little bit of, um, uh, if there was a little bit of a lag there, sorry. But like I said, I'm surprised he's not talked about it because this is the kind of news that I think he would talk about and give his opinions on. And if my messaging him with what's going on is his way of doing it, if he hasn't done it already, cannot wait to see, see what he has to say. But yeah, um, they definitely ruined the reputation. You know, they, they damaged it to the point that, you know, it's going to take a lot for them to get, to gain the the trust of not just the viewers, but the trust of any other uh, anime company out there that wants to distribute their, that wants to have their programming distributed through Funimation or TV Tokyo. Because again, they're not going to know whether or not if they get it distributed by them, if it's going to, 
come before or after something that should be at, should be saved for very late at night, if you catch my drift. Because basically all this series was is, you know, all this series was, if you look at it from a clean perspective, and that's hard to say, from a clean perspective, is everybody's fan fiction on Divino, everybody's fan fiction that they posted at places like, like fanfiction.net, Divinart, Fur Affiniant, you know, So Furry, Ink Bunny, you know, adult, adultfanfiction.com, you know, you name it. This is their fan fiction come to life because, again, the synopsis is you have these three characters going from town to town to a establishment and a, to establishment to establishment basically trying to critique and review who has the best waifu. And when I talk about waifu here, I'm talking, you know, female characters that are not human. We'll put it that way. You got Succumbus, uh, uh, Succumbus, if you will. You have anthropomorphic hyena girls, wolf girls. You have slime girls. You know, you name it from what has been told. Oh, and from what I've heard about, you have all these characters that normally you would read about in fan fiction, you know, you know, giving these reviewers the opportunity to critique them for whether, for whether or not they are the best. And, you know, I can understand wanting to bring something like that to life. You know, you want to bring us, you know, I mean, I can understand wanting to bring a, you know, a concept of like that to life for a regular, like, you know, mainstream anime that uh, that's appropriate for everybody. But to bring it to life in this manner, it's like, yeah, that's fine and everything, but make sure if you're fun, if you're distributing site for Western, for the Western audience, make sure that what you're going to distribute is appropriate for everybody and not something that's going to destroy any kind of goodwill you've had or at least damage it because that's what it did here. And the same with TV Tokyo. Any goodwill they've had, that's been damaged. That's pretty much been damaged and thrown out the window. So if I'm... TV Tokyo, and I'm Funimation. I do whatever it takes to make up for what I've done. You can come out, you as a CEO or the president or whatever. You know, you could come out and you could say, hey, and you could apologize all you want for the mistake, for the screw-up that happened, but that's not going to be enough. You are definitely going to have to do more than that. More than that to win back the trust of the companies that want to probably consider you for distribution of their series and the viewers, your fans, that thought they could trust you for being a provider of mainstream, decent, appropriate anime. I mean, you've got a lot to do besides just issuing an apology for the mistake you made. 
You really do. You really do. So, anyway, though, that's about it on the interspecies um, reviewers situation and the Funimation. Is, oh, wait, wait, wait. I do have something to say. I, do, I did mention the backlash, right? Well, get this. The backlash, like I said, the backlash basically comes from the fact that, yeah, people are upset about them for putting this out during a time putting this out when they did basically putting out this series when they should have done some more research. They should have looked into it more about, you know, what they were going to be distributing. Yeah. People are upset about that. And, you know, Funimation and TV Tokyo are receiving a lot of backlash for doing this, for not doing the job like they usually do. But that's not the only backlash they're getting because the other backlash they're getting is from a lot of people that are like saying, Hey, there's nothing really wrong with this. Like I mentioned earlier, they're pointing out the fact that Funimation has a series like Citrus and other series in that category that they're continuously showcasing on their streaming sites and their channels and their networks. And yet, Interspecies Reviewers is going too far for, going too far for them. So the backlash that they're getting, besides the negative backlash of, hey, you made a mistake, you should have known better. Now we don't trust you anymore. They're getting backlash. The other back on the other side of things, they're getting backlash from fans saying, "Hey, you're being hypocritical here. Why don't you put the series back on the air? It's only I mean, if you have a series like Citrus or other series like that showcased on your, you know, on your service and all that in your channel, why not interspecies re- uh, reviewers?" So, yeah, it's getting a lot of backlash from both fronts. Backlash for not doing their job and, you know, airing a show like that when it sh- they shouldn't have or distributing it when they shouldn't have. And they're getting backlash for, you know, taking it off, but allowing shows like Citrus and other animes like Citrus to remain on. And now a lot of people are saying put it back on because it's only fair. So, yeah, Funimation and TV Tokyo have and all the associate partners and all that have a lot a lot of work ahead of them they have a lot of work ahead of them because you know obviously this does not paint a, i've said it before others have said it before this does not paint a good picture for them it does not so that's about it that's about it for that so i'm gonna move on to the next topic here and our next topic is going to be wwe 2k's future Okay, so I talked about this yesterday during my channel update, my channel update that I did, which I called another February channel update. Uh, But yeah, the news came out that uh, 2K made the announcement during one of its quarter meetings, I think for its final quarter of last year. They came out and basically acknowledged the disappointment in sales of the game as well as the disappointment in quality they came with the game, basically acknowledging that they screwed up and that they released the game before it was completely finished or released it before it should have been, you know, without working out any bugs or glitches. They did say, however, that the future is visual concepts will continue to be the people behind the game, that they will continue to create the game. But, but, this is from Smack Talks, obviously, and the video they did on it. The 
the announcement that Visual Concepts is going to continue creating the game. Now, some people might not be happy about that, but what Smack Talks is looking into, and from what they can understand, is 2K is going to make up for what they did. Visual Concepts, along with 2K, are going to make up for what they did. They're going to make sure that 2K21, when that comes out, is not the mess 2K20 was. And what Smack Talks and others have pointed out is they believe from what they can hear and what they can read between in the lines, or read between the lines, as to say, is uh, um, 2K is going to bring in other you know, companies or other people working for other companies to help guide uh, visual concepts and making sure that the 2K21 game that they release later this year is not the mess that 2K20 was. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody's going to be playing 2K19 Wild Hops, you know, if they don't make up for what they did. But the news is, from what, like I said, Matt, what Smack Talks is looking at is Visual Concepts is going to continue on as the creator and all that, the people behind it. But from what they can read in between the lines is 2K is going to make sure this that what happened with 2K20 doesn't happen with 2K21 or any other future WWE 2K games or any of the other 2K games as well, and that they might if not will, be bringing in people from the outside that work like with other companies, you know, from a software and development standpoint to help guide visual concepts into making sure the game works properly. Now, as far as 2K20 goes, uh, they did release the 1.07 patch, which I mentioned in my video yesterday. And even though that did address a lot of issues and it did feel like the gameplay was a lot smoother and all that, and you know, and downloading characters and arenas and all that seemed to be seemed to work okay. It still had its issues. It still had its bugs. It still had its glitches. It still had its crashes. And even I experienced a crash, like I mentioned in my video yesterday, because basically when I was trying to create uh, my created wrestling version of myself, I had gotten as far as. You know, I had gotten to the attire part, you know, putting the clothes, you know, putting the in-ring and entrance attire on the character. Well, I had gotten as far as up to the elbows, to the elbow pads. And when I got to the elbow pads and I was applying the same image that I had applied on the uh, on the wrestling tights for my character and the boots, when I got to the pads, that's when the game crashed. So, obviously, it still has some issues, still has some bugs. It has to work out. I have a feeling that we're going to probably get another patch or two as time goes on. I think possibly around WrestleMania time or afterwards, we're going to get another patch. But what does that do for me and people like, you know, uh, the pe- you know, like people behind uh, CCL on YouTube, you know, which is Call Champions League? or DCA, Destiny Championship Alliance, and many of them, as well as my friends A and as well as my friends A N D W League, A N D W League, that is, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that right. You know, what does this mean? Well, it basically means just like for my league, like I mentioned, 
it basically means a lot of us are going to either have to clear out a lot of space on our PlayStation 4 or what I'm planning to do, go out and buy an external game drive and connecting that so that I could create the 2K20 season for DCWA and basically take a lot of the, the characters I've created and transfer them, if not uh, if not download them from uh, the website and just create a new, le- new season for the league there by using 2K19. And what's funny right now, guys, is 2K19, um, as of this week, I believe, is now sitting side-by-side with 2K18 as being a game that you can go into a Walmart or Target and just go like that and pay 20 bucks for. And you know what? Right now, with the 20 bucks, I think a lot of people would rather be spending than on 2K20 because guess what? 2K20 ain't that far away from it either because they're right now they're sitting at $29.93. And that's what I spent. And guess what? That's what I paid for it last, you know, this past Black Friday, $29.93, when the orig- initial title was still $59.93 or $49.93. Go figure. So, yeah, basically the, the future, you know, the future basically for 2K is the visual concept is going to stay on. 2K is going to work more closely with them. And I, from what people like Smack Talks um, has said, basically uh, they're going to mo- more than likely bring in people from the outside to help develop the game help make sure that what happened with 2K20 doesn't happen with 2K21. And honestly, I'm going to put it like this. If, if I was 2K and I wanted to make up for this, I would add in a bonus, DC, a bonus DLC for 2K19. And that bonus DLC or update for 2K19 should be everything that's included with 2K20, but playable and downloadable for 2K19. Because at least you'd still be giving people what they want. It's just going to be on the previous version of your series. So, you know, that's what I would do. Because this game, it's going to take like several more patches before it's basically playable. So, anyway. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say on 2K's uh, future, but on the 2K, 2K situation. But yeah. They are remaining, but yeah, visual concepts is remaining on as their um, as the creator. But 2K is going to work more closely uh, with them, as well as probably, according to people like Smack Talks, bring in um, people from the outside to help them out and make to make sure none of this happens again. All right. So with that said, the next topic we're going to get into is the Sonic the Hedgehog movie itself and the possible franchise now tonight officially officially around five o'clock or seven o'clock depending on when your theaters officially open on a weekday or your local theaters slash cinemas the sonic the hedgehog movie will officially debut now a lot of people have already gotten an advanced screen of it uh animat of animat's reviews and Electric Dragon Productions, as well as Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy, 
have already seen uh, the movie and have given or have given or will give the reviews on it possibly by this uh, weekend. Animat actually did a review, but he won't be releasing it publicly until tomorrow. However, the movie has been making some news. It has. Because apparently, even though Paramount has taken this down already, video has been surfacing of the, I'm guessing the mid-credit scenes, the mid-credit slash post-credit scenes. Uh, basically, one of the, I think it's mid-credits, I'm not really sure. But basically, what a lot of people were hoping they would see or hoping they would see in the movie is in the movie, but you got to wait until the end. Yeah. You got to wait until the end of the movie. And sorry, my, my fingers hit the headset there, but you got to wait until the end of the movie. At least I think around the mid uh, credit scenes, I think, you know, you got to wait till around like the mid credit scenes or something. You know, um, I'm guessing. I'm not really sure. Uh, but basically, the one character a lot of people were hoping to see in this movie, or at least have some kind of reference to acknowledgement, makes an appearance at the end. And that... That is... That is Sonic's sidekick, Tails. Yeah, Tails uh, shows up um, at the end in the, I think it's a mid-credits, I think it's mid-credits scene. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. I'm going to check that out right now. Um, let's see. But yeah, Tails is, uh, he's in the movie. But basically what it is when you, when you have a movie like this based on a series, a very popular franchise and series, you always want to wait and wait until maybe do you do another one to bring that character in. Well, Tails, Tails is in the movie, but you got to wait until the mid credit scene. And that's a bit of spoilers. Sorry if I spoiled it or anything. But you can't, but obviously you can't go anywhere without hearing about it. I mean, people are talking about it all over the internet. All you have to do is type in Sonic the Hedgehog movie, put in Tails, and there you go. But yeah, Tails is in the movie, but he's at the end of the film. And you have to wait until, uh, until the end to, to see him. That's basically about it. So, so, uh, but what does this mean? What, what, what does this mean, honestly, guys, for, for the Sonic the Hitchhog movie as a franchise? Well, Jim Carrey has come out and has said, has confirmed this. Um, the studio behind it has confirmed it, that they want to do more Sonic movies. They want to make a franchise out of this, which is why I think the idea to put his sidekick or his little buddy, his little brother, if you will, Tales is, you know, in those mid-credit, post-credit scenes, whatever it is, 
Um, basically, basically, um, I think it's to set up the idea that we're going to get more. Now, one of the things that gets talked about a lot by a lot of people, including those at Tales Channel, is one of the clips we got from an international and TV spot perspective, and that is a baby Sonic. Because there is an image at the end, you know, at the end of that trailer where he's holding up a flower to, I guess, his mom or his guardian or whatever. And behind him, in, you know, standing on top of these tree branches with what looks like arrows pointing towards him are echidnas. They're basically echidnas. So, you know Knuckles is going to be showing up. But, when and where that happens is uh, totally up in the air. It's totally up in the air. And um, my my guess, my guess is Knuckles shows up in the second movie if we get one. And right now, the projection for this movie and the response it's getting Definitely says we're going to get a sequel. There's, there's no doubt we're going to get a sequel. Excuse me. We're going to get a sequel because if we weren't, they wouldn't have added in that end, that mid-credit, post-credit, end-credit scene that they did. They wouldn't have added it. Now, what gets me is them talking about doing future movies. And, you know, besides the obvious sequel, which would be honestly called Signs of the Hitchhawk 2 or Sonic and Tails, whatever they go with, if they go with a series of movies, who else could we see? Well, I've touched upon, I've touched upon this before. And I think, honestly... You bring in Knuckles either in the second or third movie makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Especially if you have Eggman or Robotnik planning to get back at Sonic. Now, I don't want to say too much you don't already have. Um, but obviously, you got to go the route of, okay, Knuckles has to get duped. So, you got to go that route. And... I think, honestly, honestly, folks, um, you know, if they bring Knuckles in at the same time, bring, 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 if they bring Knuckles in, sorry about that, at the same time they bring Tails in, it would tie in to both the sequel, the actual video game sequel, Sonic 2, and Sonic 3. It would make sense if they did that. That way they get two games out of the way. Or two game adaptions or references or inspirations out of the way. But let's say a sequel. So let's say the sequel, which looks like it's going to happen, you know, is a success like this one. Like the, the first film is projected to be. Who else could we see in this series? Well, let's say if the... If the first, if this movie, which a lot of people are saying, and it is projected, and definitely looks like it's going to be a success, let's say the sequel follows suit and is a success as well. So, who else do you bring in? 
Well, if you go from the game perspective, the game options, the next characters to bring in obviously are Amy Rose, are Shadow, are Rouge. Those are the characters you bring in. Um, Blaze, maybe. Silver. You got to bring in Metal Sonic. There's no doubt about that. That's probably going to be the sequel. That's probably who's going to be one of the main obstacles in the second movie. You obviously got to bring in the Death Egg. You got to bring in the Death Egg uh, as well. And and you know what? Speaking of Metal Sonic, you know why I think Metal Sonic is going to be in the second movie? Not to give much away. And people have already talked about this. uh, But there's a moment that takes place um, in the film. There's a moment that takes place in the film, not saying when, that kind of hints that we're going to get Metal Sonic in the second movie. Now, again, with obvious with the obvious choices besides Tails and Knuckles, you know, Amy Rose, Rouge the Bat, Shadow, Silver, Blaze, Cream, Cream the Rabbit, that is, the Chaotix, you know, who else? Well, I've talked about this before, and I think if you really want to go outside the lines, outside the box, and show that the Sonic movie franchise is not just you know, based on the game versions of Sonic himself, but on other medias as well, I think the most logical direction to go, especially if you're going to plan for future movies, is the Freedom Fighters. That's what I think you need to do. I think whether you do it at the end of the second movie or the or during or at the end of a potential third movie, you gotta bring them in. Heck, you could even hint, hint and reference them in a sec in the second movie. And at least by doing that, you're saying you're basically telling your audience and the fan base, yeah, these Sonic movies are not just based on the games themselves; they're based on all media of Sonic, on all Sonic media. So I think obviously that should be uh, the next. Uh, the next direction they go in. I, I really do. I think I think that should be, you know, the obviously next direction if they want to do a franchise. Don't just include the obvious game characters that you're going to bring in. You know, like I said, besides Tails, Knuckles, Metal Sonic, you know, you know, the Death Egg and all that. But also bring in characters, characters, um, like I said, besides just the obvious, like, you know, Amy, Rude, Shadow, Silver, Blaze, you, you get, you know, Cream, Vanilla, the Chaotix, but also bring in characters that fans wouldn't think you'd bring into this to kind of connect the fact that this is all, you know, based on that this franchise, this movie franchise, <clears throat> this movie series, excuse me there, is based on all Sonic media. It's based on all kinds of Sonic media, or at least inspired by it. <clears throat> that That's what I think they need to do. And that's what I think they need to do. That's the direction they should, you know, go in. Because when you take a look at a lot of movies that have 
become franchises? You know, a, a lot of people would look at the fact that, you know, like, for example, you look at the X-Men franchise or the Spider-Man franchises, you know, no one ever thought that they would expand further into the lore, but there was so much content and fans wanted to see certain characters, they had no choice. You know, a lot of fans back when the, what was it, the Tobey Maguire, which is kind of weird with the news that came out about that, but still, um, there is a lot of fans back when Spider-Man 3 came out that wanted to see Venom in those movies, and even though initially he wasn't part of the original plan, excuse me, the creative differences forced Sam Raimi's hand to put him in. Even though Sam Raimi didn't want to do that. But it's because fans demanded to see it. Fans wanted to see these characters. And I believe, Eve, hopefully without any creative or studio interference, we're going to get the same thing here. We're going to get these characters appearing um, in the Sonic movies, should it become, should not just the first movie, which obviously it's on track to be, but the second one as well, and maybe even the third, and maybe even the third one are successful, I think that's the direction you need to go in. You need to incorporate all the elements. You need to do that. So, in my opinion, and, and you know, go the route everybody knows you're going to go, bring in the other game characters. Bring in the other game elements, uh, but also try to acknowledge, reference, and eventually bring in uh, the, the non-game characters as people look at them, like the Freedom Fighters, like a Sally, like a Rotor, like an Antoine, like a Bunny, like a Dulcie, if you will. You know, bring in, if you want to, from the IDW perspective, a Whisper, a Tangle. You know, bring them in. Bring them in. So... To me, as far as Sonic the Hitchhiker goes as a movie franchise, that's the direction I think they should go in. Should upcoming sequels like the first movie, which is projected to be a success, and looks like it will be, should future movies that follow, you know, get that same, you know, gain that same success, I think going in that direction of going outside the game box, if you will, is the best option to go with. So that's all I'm going to say on the Sonic movie and the basically a potential Sonic movie franchise, which it looks like they want to do. Paramount, that is. So number four is fictional Valentine's Day, Valentine's Days of fictional Valentine's Day couples, legit versus implied. Okay, so... Let's talk about that, shall we? Now, what what is a fictional, legit uh, pairing? You know, from a fictional standpoint. Okay, so obviously, one of my viewers, who goes by the name Bugs Bunny, not the not the Bugs Bunny, but you know, calls the channel that. Uh, his legit couples are Bugs and Lola, 
Spike and Rarity, Gumball and Penny, and many more. And those are good choices. Now, when you take a look at, you know, comparing the two, legit versus implied, what is legit? Well, legit is basically official. Like, this is a couple. Like, no matter how you look at it, no matter what other episodes are written a certain way, or what other comics are written a certain way when they come out, this is a couple that's a mainstay. They are now an item. No matter what, how, no matter how you feel about it, they are an item. A good example of this from comic book lore is Spider-Man, Peter Parker, and Mary Jane Watson. You know, no matter how many times, you know, writers have tried to write them off as a couple, break them up, whatever, they've always ended up back together in some capacity. And they've always been legit. No matter whether or not the next issue involved Mary Jane or didn't, you know, they were always legit. And even if there was a story where a guy tried to come on to Mary Jane or a girl tried to come on to Peter Parker, they would at least acknowledge I'm with somebody and they would basically say who that person was. So that's a good example. Another good example, um, like uh, uh, Bugs pointed out, is Bugs Bunny and Lola. I mean, that was obvious when you would first when you first saw Space Jam back in '96, and it's been obvious ever since. It's been obvious ever since. Heck, you take a look at the new Looney Tunes show, you know, and the way they recreated Lola there, and it's pretty obvious um, that yeah, these two are an item. Another good example of a legit couple, fictional wise, is of course Mickey and Minnie. Yes, Mickey and Minnie are a legit couple. They've been like that since 1928. So what is that? What now? Uh, 18 made it 90 years. 19 made 91. It's going to be, it's 92 years. They've been a legit couple. Same with Donald and Daisy. You know, a few years off, well, several years off, but still a legit item. Heck, you know, let's take a look at Goofy. Goofy, if you want to legitimize him with somebody, the biggest and obvious choice from a traditional Disney perspective is Clarabelle. Yeah, it's Clarabelle. You know why? Because in earlier uh, stories, comics, comic books, and even shorts, Goofy was play- Goofy was paired with Clarabelle. I'm just checking something there. I went through an update last night, so the traditional second week of the month, second Tuesday of the month update, if you will. But anyway, um, basically Goofy was paired up with Clarabelle. So what do they do now in the modern interpretations? They basically pair Goofy up with Clarabelle. It doesn't matter if it's Mickey's Playhouse. It doesn't matter if it's Minnie's bow ties or bow tunes. Doesn't matter if it's House of Mouse, which I'm surprised is not on Disney Plus. You know, you know, it doesn't matter if it's Three Musketeers. They've always paired these two up in, in recent years. And you could say, well, didn't they pair Goofy up with Sylvia in an extremely goofy movie? Yeah, they did. And you think 
That would be his, and you'd think they would bring her in, right? Nope. It's Clarabelle. Why? Because somebody came up with the idea that if, okay, Mickey has Minnie and Donald has Daisy, Goofy should have somebody. And from a statuesque standpoint, the only character that can, you know, really see eye to eye with him is Clarabelle. So there you go. And honestly, I think they realized, well, if we're going to do that, it's going to help develop a character like Clarabelle in a huge way. And guess what? It's done that. Heck, even what is it? Mickey's Mouse Works. What was that? Um, How to Be a Spy short that they did? Pretty much confirmed it. So, yeah, Goofy, legitimately, you think would just be the loner that he is, or the loner that he is. But nope, they gave him Clarabelle. In the same universe, obviously, that his son is dating Roxanne, or supposedly still. Or dating another character called Mona. Yeah. I don't I don't know <laughs> what's going on with that. But I think if you just you don't acknowledge the Christmas short they did with Twice Upon a Christmas. Or which is called, I think, what was it? Called Christmas Maximus, I think, or something. Um, yeah. People still look at Max being, being with Roxanne and nobody else. So, yeah, that's kind of a legit couple. Those, those are good examples. Uh, excuse me. Nick, if you want to look at something from one of my favorite perspectives growing up, growing up, Transformers Generation 1. Transformers Generation 1, Optimus Prime, and Alita 1. Yeah. Talk about a long distance relationship, but legit. There you go. Heck, they even, even in later seasons of G1, they teased Hot Rod RC, Springer RC, but mostly went back to Hot Rod RC. G.I. Joe, even to this day, pretty much has two couples, you know, sing, singled out as being legit, but they don't come out and say it. That's Duke and Scarlet and Flint and Lady J. It's like, seriously, seriously, you know, you're not kidding anybody, even if you don't really acknowledge it too much, but guess what? They do at times hint at it. But then you look at other legit couples, depending on how you view them. And one of the most popular is Sonic and Sally from Sonic the Hedgehog. The Sad AM series and the Archie Comics series. And no matter how many times they got broken up, guess what? They ended up back together. They always ended up back together. Um, they're kind of like that Zach Morris, Kelly Kapowski kind of uh, dynamic. You know, Broken up, 
see other people, get back together, end the story. But that's basically what it is. <clears throat> that's basically what it is. Excuse me there. But that's basically what it is. It's in that category of, you know, being legit, but also having its ups and downs, but staying legit no matter what. But then when you take a look at implied or interpreted, implied and interpreted are looked at in two different ways. Some could say, some could look at it as being not canon because it's up to the viewers, up to the fans. And some look at it as canon because, you know, there's too many hints, there's too many references, there's too many Easter eggs, there's too many moments to ignore it, you know, or say otherwise. To ignore it or say otherwise is what I was trying to say. And a good example, as I've mentioned many times, and Bugs Bunny, not the Bugs Bunny, but somebody under his name on YouTube, basically pointed out Spike and Rarity from My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Since day one, episode one, Lauren Faust made it known that she wanted Spike to be everybody's point of view of how beautiful and gorgeous Rarity was. And by doing so, have Spike fall in love with her. You know, develop the crush, develop the affection for her. Develop the willingness to always be by her side and be there whenever she needed help or needed some kind of support. As I mentioned before, I don't think Lauren Faust expected the Spike and Rarity, a.k.a. Sparity situation, to become as popular as go or go as far as it did. And that's exactly what's happened. It's become very popular to the point that now after the show is over and after, and after everybody has seen legitimately what Spike looks like um, in the future, I don't know if you could see that, what Spike looks like um, in the future, again, I don't know if you can really see that there, it's like a lot of people are changing their minds about, oh, okay, maybe he can be with Rarity now. And I just hit my thumb with the mic there, sorry. Just going to adjust it there just a bit. There we go. But, yeah, now a lot of people are changing their minds about it. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was watching a video, one of the most recent, excuse me, one of the more recent videos that Brony Notion uh, brought out and Brony Notion basically said in that video that now that the show is officially over yeah although it's sad it's also good because now although there was a lot of questions answered but some left unanswered that makes it more fun because now we as fans can interpretate how we see things how we see things could have gone or what I'm trying to say is it now opens the door for to allow us fans to interpretate how we see things, how we see things, things going, or how they could have gone on in the past, or how certain things occurred or would occur. That's what I'm trying to say. Basically, that's what Brony Ocean said in his recent video. That even though it's sad that the series animation-wise is over, it does open the door from a 
a fan perspective, interpretation-wise, for us to kind of look at it as, you know, from our perspective of, you know, what could have happened, happened for certain events to take place and shape up the way they did, or what could happen. And again, it really, and again, he's got a point, you know, even though it is sad that a show as popular as Friendship is Magic from an animation perspective is over and no new episodes are going to come out from an animation point, uh, basically it does, the fun part is interpreting and trying to come up with any answers to questions that were left unanswered from your own perspective. You know, how you see things, how you could see things happening or could have happened to allow things to occur or allow or would have allowed things to have certain events pan out the way they did. And when it comes to Spike and Rarity and their relationship in the show, a lot of fans can interpret it as, yeah, they did end up together somehow, but maybe not in the way that basically you know, you would think like, yes, they are probably together. They are probably dating, but it's a relationship that kind of is mutual. It's kind of done in a way that both understand that they have a role in helping Twilight rule Equestria, and that sometimes they got to go their separate ways. Now, somebody uh, brought up, I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was Bugs or Derek or a fellow fan. And excuse me, I got to go check something. Sorry about that. Turn my finger at the mic there, just matching it up. Okay, there we go. But like I said, it's uh, it's uh, sorry about that. But like I said, it's the uh, kind of relationship. As I adjust my mic here. But it's the kind of relationship that we look at as uh, basically being, you know, you know, like they're together, they're dating, they probably live together for all we know. Uh, but it's the kind of relationship to where they know they got different jobs to help, they got different roles in helping Twilight rule Equestria, that they got to be in different places, aces um, at once. In fact, what I was trying to say is. One person on YouTube commented, and they said that there was a line that Rarity said when she entered the throne room towards the end of the last problem episode, the final episode. And she said she would have been there sooner, but you have no idea how busy Yakistan is. Now, some might say, well, she pretty much answered the question. 
pretty much answered the reason why she didn't show up earlier, right? Well, yeah, it's true. But some people are interpreting that by saying, by looking at what she's saying, by by kind of guessing that what she's trying to say there is she probably would have shown up with Spike, but had to remain in Yakistan because, you know, she probably has a boutique there. I'm just adjusting my mic again. But she has a boutique there that probably, you know, needed her attention, you know, or, or something. And maybe Spike was on his way, you know, to Equestria from uh, his situation with the Diamond Dogs and the Abyssinians. And on his way, he was going to pick up Rarity. But then she told him, look, I can't just tell Twilight I'll be there. Either I'm going to catch the train a little bit, but I got to stay here for a moment or I got to stay here and take care of this. So that might have been what happened. I don't really know, but that's basically like what Brony Ocean said. That's what that's the fun sometimes after an animated series ends and there are still some questions left unanswered. You could basically interpretate and look at a scenario in your own perspective and be like, yeah, that could make sense. So a lot of people, when they look at Spike and Rarity, they look at the fact that there's just too many moments. There's too many hints, too many Easter eggs, too many references. Heck, even Hasbro gets into the act with uh, this, what last year's Valentine's Day uh, gift basket that they did, as well as this year's Valentine's Day cards. In fact, I'll show you.
Okay, can you hear me now? Something happened. I don't know what happened here. I must have accidentally muted it. So I do apologize. Okay, can you hear me now? Something happened. I don't know what happened here. I must have accidentally muted it. So I do apologize. But like I was saying, what I was trying to show, um, uh, let me know where I left off, guys, because I totally forgot. Hold on. I want to see where I left off at. (laughs) But um, I must have hit the mute button by accident. I don't know how that happened. Okay, I'm just checking something. Yeah, I must have hit the mute button by accident. But like I said, um, when you... But as I was saying, basically, um, you know, this gift set here came with this. This was last year's gift set right here. And um, basically, as I was saying, you you would think you would see just Fluttershy, and you're wondering why Fluttershy is like Cupid, right? Everybody was wondering that. Well, when you take a look at the bottom, there you go. And this, as I was trying to say before I lost the volume there, I do apologize. And I do apologize to anybody that's going to be listening audio-wise on the podcast for that brief um, audio issue. Uh, But as you can see here on the bottom, it's an official Hasbro product. That's what it is. So if Hasbro officially allows this to be put on there, then, then I don't know you know, why people feel like, feel like it shouldn't be interpreted. Because, again, again, like I said, uh, basically, um, you know, now that Spike was grown up, everybody saw the future version of Spike. They're like, well, okay, maybe, maybe he can be with Rarity. Heck, people were drawing pictures of Rarity as she is in the future, even giving some pictures titles of lack of fine wine or something like that. And basically stating that, you know, Rarity, you know, Rarity and Spike can be together. You know, there's several pictures out out there. Lennon Black, look him up on DeviantArt, has some pictures, and they look great. They look tremendous. Some people have even done little vectors of what a future family between the two would look like. So, again, even though, sadly, the show is over animation-wise, you know, fans like Brony Ocean put out can still interpretate uh, things the way, the way they want to interpretate them. You know, they can. So, um, anyway, 
So anyway, um, Spike and Rarity's relationship in the show is one of those that you can interpretate. Heck, a lot of people look at the fact that it's hinted at that from an LGBTQ perspective, Rainbow Dash and Applejack are together. It's pretty much implied Fluttershy and Discord are together. Heck, it's legitimized that Cheese Sandwich and Pinky are together. It's like, what's the big deal if people want to interpretate something as canon, especially when you have too many hints and moments out there? Heck, I've even brought up the fact that when Spike did his serenade version, romantic serenade ballad version of the true gift of given, his portion of it, uh, to rarity, the moments in there pretty much spoke for themselves. The way she put her hoof over the heart, the way she put her hoof over her heart because she's touched by it, the fact that she has sparks slash stars in her eyes, a la Lady in the Tramp and Lady in the Tramp, and the way that Spike, you know, finishes this up by saying saying the line, you know, hope I didn't ruin your holiday. And the way he sings that last part, it's like, come on. You could have, instead of having her just kiss him on the cheek, you could have just had them kiss on the lips and be done with it, right? <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, there's just too, too, too many moments, obviously. I mean, even season nine had it as well. Like, I bring up Between Dark and Dawn in the first 30 seconds in that episode. When Spike gets caught up by this, caught up in, you know, with this tree, I should say, that's getting eaten, that's about to get eaten by this giant tortoise. Spike gets caught up in it, you know, and Rarity is the only one out of the group to run towards him. It's like, okay, we get it. You know, you don't have to hammer it in. These two are somewhat together. You pair them off in Summer Sun's, in Summer Sun's setback, if you will. As a team, as a pair, you didn't have to do that, but you did. You're acknowledging, maybe not as much there, but you're acknowledging that there's something there. I mean, you had Rarity look at Spike the way she did towards, you know, in the song, The Magic of Friendship Grows, the way she did in that one scene there. And the fact that she stands by him and he walks with her as <laughs> walking into Ponyville after the little group shot. It's like, come on, you're, you're making it too obvious. You're making it too obvious uh, for a lot of fans. Making it way, way too obvious. Yeah, I think it did make everybody supporter. I mean, I understand some people didn't like it because it's like, come on, you know, this and that. But now, again, you look at how Spike looks in the future, and it's like some people are changing their minds. And, again, I know I'm repeating myself here, but Brony Notion basically said it best. The show, animation-wise, sadly might be over, but and there are some questions that were answered, some that weren't, and it basically opens the door for us to say, yeah, maybe this did happen, and maybe this is how it did. So the same could be applied with Spike and Rarity. But there are other interpretations in other mediums as well. Uh, for example, for example, uh, you look at Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and even though it's not implied, or even though it's not legitimized, I should say, it's implied, if not interpreted, that Foxglove and Dale, at the end of Good Times, Bat Times, Good Times, Bat Times, that Dale and Foxglove got together. And the uh, Boom Studios uh, continuation, soft reboot, if you will, of the series, kind of indicates that as well, kind of hints at that as well. 
But when you speak of rescue rangers, you also got to look at Chip and Dale competing for Gadget's affections. And no matter how you look at it, some could say that Chip ended up with Gadget if Dale was going to end up with Foxglove. Or Gadget ended up with Sparky the Lab Rat when he, and he made a comeback or something. We don't know. Or Dale ended up with Gadget because they have a lot in common. They both support each other. They, they, they encourage each other. I mean, heck, you want a good example of that? Take a look at Double O Chipmunk, for goodness sakes. And also, uh, uh, how many hugs and kisses did Dale get by from Gadget um, over uh, over Chip? Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, well, more hugs than kisses, but you get the idea. Exactly. But basically, there. So you can imply or interpretate that maybe she chose Dale, maybe she chose Chip, maybe she chose Sparky, maybe Chip ended up with Tammy from Adventures in Squirrel City, maybe Dale ended up with Foxglove from Good Times, Bat Times. You know, as the comic from Boom Studios would even imply I or interpretate or hint at. So who knows? And another good example from Disney, Tailspin. Baloo Rebecca. It's pretty much not, if not, it's pretty much, as I pointed out, it's pretty much, if not officially or implied or interpreted that these two are ending up together, a la Sam Malone and Rebecca Donaldson in Cheers, because guess what? That's where the inspiration for those two came from, that being Baloo and Rebecca. It's pretty much indicated, it's pretty much implied, it's pretty much interpreted that there is something there. It's all but confirmed. You want a good example of that? Episode A Star is Torn tells the whole story. It tells the whole story right then and there. Another good example, as crazy as this sounds, Mighty Ducks, Mighty Ducks, the animated series. A lot of people would always say Wild Wing would end up with Mallory and Tanya would end up with somebody like Grin or something. But a lot of people look at it other ways. A lot of people interpret it or if not imply that there's hints and moments in there that Mallory would end up with Duke or Mallory would end up with Nosedive and Tanya would end up with Wild Wing or Tanya would end up with Duke. You know, there's the moments in there. There are hints in there that give fans that uh, momentum to interpretate and imply that that might have happened. Who knows? Um, heck, even 101 Dalmatians, the animated series, the first one. Lucky and Two-Tone. You know, the short, Love Him and Phileum, is a good indication. You can imply all you want. Into, you can imply that these two ended up together. Now you might say, well, Lucky was interested in this Rebecca character that's from another time that's trapped in limbo that comes around every thousands of years. So, you know, that's, and you know, some people have written stories of her coming back and being with Lucky. Some have written stories of Lucky being with Two-Tone. Again, just because it's not legitimized doesn't mean implied or interpreted can't mean that it's possible. From a fan's perspective, it is. 
if they feel that there's enough hints, there's enough moments, Easter eggs, scenes, whatever you want to call it, then they pretty much feel that, you know, it's possible. And if, and if the show or if the characters got another chance to shine, that it would be legitimized in their opinion. Because all they're doing right now is going off what they see and interpreting it and applying it to what could be. Heck, you want a good example of that? Again, going back to My Little Pony Friendship's Magic, Disney Fanatic. Disney Fanatic, known for doing Bride of Discord and Daughter of Discord and the prequel to Daughter of Discord, paired Spike and Applejack together based off the season four episode, I think. Based off the season four episode, Spike at your service. And not only does Disney Fanatic base it off that, but she bases it off all the moments and interactions that you know these these two have. And what's funny is the way she plans it out is it's not just that what it is is she plays the way she plays it out is Spike still longs for rarity but unbeknownst to Spike Applejack longs for him so it's really interesting and again Disney fanatic at the time based it, interpreted it, and implied it by what she saw in Spike at your service from season four, I believe. Anyway, though, that's that's the differences between legitimate and implied, if not interpreted. Legitimate is pretty much no matter what the circumstance This is what is going to happen. This is the pairing that's going to become official, no matter what ups and downs or whatever that they get put through. Implied slash interpreted is basically what possibly could be. It's like a what-if scenario, and it's also looked at as possibility because of too many hints, moments, suggestiveness, or suggestive references and stuff like that. So that's the big difference between the two. So, yeah, that's that's how, you know, you could view from both perspectives or both perspectives, I should say, these fictional Valentine's Day couples from, you know, when it comes to legitimate versus in interpretation slash implication. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about the XFL. Okay, so the first weekend of the XFL happened this past week, or this past weekend, and obviously it was a success. According to several reports, the ratings beat out WWE's own ratings, and it definitely has a more enjoyable, a more legit feel to it than the original XFL. See, the original XFL was WWE-based. Basically, like it was a 
it was a spinoff of WWE. It was just basically WWE on the gridiron. And that blew up in the face. This version of the XFL is conducted or produced or owned by a separate entity. Yes, Vince McMahon is still the majority owner, but it's under his new Alpha Entertainment uh, company. And he has, a, and he basically this time has done, I guess, along with, along with a lot of help, has done the research needed to kind of make the XFL a legitimate alternative to the NFL. Make it legitimate, make it interactive, make it more, as, as the uh, term goes, or as the saying goes, more for the love of football. I mean, one of the rule changes they have is there's no uh, kicking a field goal. You have to go for the field goal or the extra point, uh, depending on the yardage, I think, as if you were going for a two-point conversion. Um, the other thing is the way they set up the, the kickoff. You know, you have the kicker. It's like you have the two squads, like face-to-face, like they would be on a scrimmage, but you have the kicker all the way here, well, the two squads are here, you have the quick over here. So, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, I would suggest checking out uh, Brian Zane of Wrestling Regrets uh, podcast, uh, audio talk with uh, Finch, Inch on this new XFL and the rules. Check that out. Uh, but basically, uh, it definitely looks like it's a lot better it's a huge improvement, I think, over the original one. I think it's definitely a huge improvement. It felt more legitimized, like an actual – it felt more legitimate. It felt more like an actual football league than just a spinoff of um, of another entity that has nothing to do with football. It felt more like an NFL-like – it felt more like a legitimate NFL league so uh, I'm glad it's doing good now the crowds they still have to be built up and everything because people just got over football so bringing them back is not going to be easy but I think over time I'm as we go through the next couple of months it's going to be okay um, the championship game is going to be I think at the end of April I think it's going to be the end of April and it's going to be played in Houston. Now, you would think the most logical place to play it in is RNG Stadium, home of the Houston Texans. That's not what's going to happen. Instead, they're going to play it at the stadium of the Houston Cougars, the college football team. And that stadium right now is being used by the Houston Roughnecks, the XFL team. Now, some might look at that and think, well, that's kind of a downplay, isn't it? That's kind of you know, downgrading the XFL, right? Not really, because I think what they're doing is they're playing it smart. They realize that, yes, some of the venues they're going to use are not going to get packed capacity. There's no doubt about that. But they realize that some of the venues they are going to use will at least give them decent sellouts. So that's why I think it's a smart move on on their part to put a team like the Houston Roughnecks in a stadium like, what is it called? TCDEU Stadium, I think that's what it's called. You know, 
in, in Houston, which is home of the Houston Cougars, of uh, the uh, All-American Conference, Conference of the NCAA. So I think it makes, I think it definitely makes a lot of sense in, in my in my opinion. Now the question is, do I see the XFL lasting? Uh, I would say that if people are already critiquing that it's better than the AAF was, and a lot of people are looking at it from a positive perspective, giving it positive reviews, then I say, yeah, I think it's going to work out. I think, honestly, if they take their time, they stick with the eight-team format, the eight-team format that they have right now, and slowly build to maybe expanding across across the country, then I think they'll be okay. I think they will be okay. And as I said before, in a lot of my videos, we'll have to wait and see. If the ratings right now look good, then I think they're going to be fine. I mean, the way they're treating this is they're treating it as a legit sport, as a legit NFL league. You know, there's no, oh, I'm, there's no, oh, I'm he hate me deal, or there's no rock or WWE superstar presenting the game to you or anything like that. It's being treated legitimately. Um, we can only hope, though, whatever the controversy behind the scenes financially when it comes to the, uh, the XFL uh, being you know financially supported the way it is, whatever controversy or legal actions or whatever you know, behind the scenes is occurring, hopefully that doesn't hamper it and cause any damage. So I definitely see that the XFL has the potential, this, this version of it has the potential to be good. And, you know, let's, again, let's just wait and see what occurs. And if the ratings improve and the crowds improve, I honestly think they're going to have a success on their hands. I, I'll say it this way. Knowing how Vince McMahon, well, not knowing legitimately, but seeing how he operates, if he sees it being a bona fide success in some shape or fashion, we're going to get another season. So expect, I'm going to say it this way, expect another season of the XFL. And maybe if they get a third season, if they're able to get that, expect after the second season or during the second season, um, I'll put it this way. Expect at least by a third or fourth season, if they go as far as five seasons, I'll put it this way. If they go as far as five seasons, expect by the end of the second and into the third season, the announcement of maybe four more teams to expand it to 12. So expect that. And the places I think that are going to get them, besides the areas that got them already, I think we're looking at Miami, San Francisco, maybe San Jose. Um, we're looking at Las Vegas. And I would say we're looking at, if I was to not legitimately put money on it. But I would say 
I would say Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Those are the four cities I think will get an XFL team if it continues for a few more seasons, like maybe five at the most. I would say by the end of the second season into the third season, expect the announcement for a fourth season, the expansion into cities of San Jose slash San Francisco, Miami, Las Vegas, and Tulsa. That That's what I think they're going to be doing. So right now it looks good for the XFL. Crowd-wise, I think that will increase as the weather gets nicer. And we'll see what happens. But, yeah, the championship game for the XFL has been announced for Houston to take place at in Houston, in the home of the Houston Cougars. And the schedule, I think, the, the way they're scheduling the games, I think is going to work out in their favor as well. So, thumbs up right now. And, again, let's see what occurs. All right. The final topic we're going to talk about, folks. The final topic we're going to talk about. WrestleMania debuting at SoFi Stadium next year here in Los Angeles slash Inglewood, California. It's WrestleMania Goes Hollywood 2, the sequel. That's right. WrestleMania Goes Hollywood, the sequel. WrestleMania coming to the new SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles slash Inglewood, California. The announcement was made uh, on Monday. Because they were in the vicinity, and they were actually in Ontario, uh, California, outside of Los Angeles. But the announcement was made on Monday that SoFi Stadium is getting WrestleMania next year. Now, the way it's been described, because Renee Young did an interview with Stephanie McMahon, the way it's described, and you could see it from the architecture, WWE is going to have a lot of fun with this. <laughs> they are. They are going to have a lot of fun with this. And what I mean by having a lot of fun is it's the way Stephanie McMahon described it is you're going to be able to graphically project whatever you want off the ceiling, off the ceiling and off the roof, as well as around the stadium like that's a scoreboard or whatever it is they're going to have circling around the roof. You're going to have all that along with whatever setup they put for WrestleMania stage-wise and everything. You're going to have all that in addition to whatever the setup is going to look like. And what's interesting, and again, what I and again, what Stephanie McMahon was pointing out is you're going to they're going to be able to project a lot of stuff like the. I mean, you think the entrance, you think, okay, the the uh, video, the video walls sometimes for WrestleMania are epic, can sometimes be epic and grand, you know, for the entrance of the superstars. You add in, you know, what the stadium on the inside and the outside is capable of from a projection standpoint, graphically or graphically. And you got a home run on your hands. You got a home run on your hands, no doubt about it. It's going to look great. It's going to look like a spectacular um, vision. Because Stephanie McMahon pointed out that the way it's positioned is that anybody that flies out or flies in to LAX, which is the Los Angeles airport, and my finger just hit the mic there. I do apologize. Just adjust the mic there again. 
But like I said, she basically pointed out that whatever, that whoever flies into LAX or or out of LAX, basically going to be able to see from a roof perspective, like looking down, they're going to be able to see what's happening. They're either going to see uh, a concert taking place, like who's performing there. They're going to be able to see uh, what game might be happening. Or in this case, WrestleMania taking place. And that would be the closest they'd be to getting to being live at WrestleMania, just flying over it. Like, oh, there's WrestleMania. Hi. <laughs> oh, look, I was part of WrestleMania. I was at WrestleMania. Although I just saw the, the roof that says WrestleMania. <laughs> you know, so, I, I, I don't know. But basically, yeah, that's what she was getting at. And uh, I, I have to agree with her that it's going to look spectacular. There's no doubt about that. It's going to look great. Um, but again, you add in how they're going to, you add in the fact that in past WrestleManias, how entrances for superstars have looked in before from a videographic wall wise, not just what they set up, but, you know, stadium wise, what they can utilize there. Imagine that, imagine that, imagine that done 10 times 10. And when it comes to what she's describing with SoFi Stadium. Now, Alex, just Alex, formerly Deluxe Man, has stated that he's going to be there. He wants to be there. And all I can say, Alex, if you are planning to be there, you might not be the only one. (laughs) You may not be the only one, because I will try my best to be there too, God willing, financially. Because I would love to at least attend one WrestleMania in my life. And if I can attend one that's going to be in a vicinity like that, or in a place like that, count me in. You know, count me in. But yeah, WrestleMania is going to be at SoFi Stadium next year. And you know what I predict? I predict WrestleMania. This is the truth, guys. I predict WrestleMania is going to be West Coast bound for the next two years. Yeah, that's what I predict. Do you know why? Because SoFi Stadium is not the only stadium that's going to debut this year during football or even at the beginning or during the summer, as a matter of fact, for other events and other events taking place, concerts, you name it, you know, other sporting events. It's not the only one. It's not the only one. The Raiders, the Las Vegas slash Oakland Raiders. Um, have a new stadium as well called um, Alliant Stadium. Alliant Stadium that um, that basically I think they have the stadium listed here. It is Alliant Stadium. It's a dome stadium currently in, under construction and located in Pasadena, Nevada, which is outside of Las Vegas. It says it is located about 62 acres. It is located on, this is what it says, this is what, this is what Wikipedia says for Alliant uh, Stadium. Oh, Elijah, Elijah Stadium. Uh, 
Malaysian Stadium. This is what it says. It is located on about 62 acres of land west of Mandolin Bay at Russell Road in Heisenden Avenue in between Polars Avenue and Dean Martin Drive, just west of Interstate 15. And construction is expected to be complete in July of this year in time for the NFL season. And this is why, this is why I said that WrestleMania is probably going to be West Coast bound for the next two years. Because not just do you have SoFi Stadium getting it next year, but WrestleMania, what is it going to be, 38? Is going to be at Alliance Stadium, Alliance Stadium. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be at Alliance Stadium. And according to this, stadium backers project 20 to 25 additional events per year with plausible possibilities, including the Super Bowl, with a capacity of 71,835 seats, the Pro Bowl, the NFL Draft, WrestleMania, which would expand that, the NCAA Final Four, and the USA Sevens Rugby Tournament, Monster Jam, boxing matches, UFC, neutral site college football games, international soccer matches, concerts, and corporate shows. Now, again, this is a big deal, though, getting back to SoFi. It's a big deal for WWE to have that kind of a stadium to really, to really, you know, showcase how big WrestleMania is and always has been. Again, like I said, you got the video projection stuff for the, the roof, this, you know, for the ceiling, the roof and all that. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to look great. And if I could be there and if Alex could be there, all the better. But again, this is why I believe WrestleMania is going to be West Coast bound for next year and the year after. All right, WrestleMania 37, as it's called, and WrestleMania 38 are going to be on the West Coast because you got these two new stadiums um, in the works. You got these two new stadiums in the works. Works. And if you don't think WWE is not going to want to take advantage of that, you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. Now, now again, that's all. Now, I could be wrong, but I think that's what's going to happen. I, I really do. Because, again, you'd be out of your mind. You'd think the McMahons would be out of their minds not to take this, this opportunity. You'd think Las Vegas themselves would be out of their minds not to take that opportunity. Because guess what? If they didn't get WrestleMania this year, they're damn sure getting it next year. Excuse my language, God, but they're damn sure getting it next. Well, if they didn't get it for next year, they're damn sure getting it for 2022. Mark my words. Mark my words. Anyway, though, guys, yeah, WrestleMania coming to SoFi Stadium next year. Again, uh, the way it's being uh, presented uh, from what Stephanie McMahon stated, the way the p- presentation could look with the projection on the, the ceiling and then being able to see what's taking place on the outside, like as if you're flying into LAX. 
X um, airport, it's going to look, it's just going to look spectacular. And then you add on whatever else they could use, you know, from their own, you know, ingenuity and construction wise, video wall wise and everything for entrances and all that for the superstars. It's just going to be spectacular. And then again, and then, like I said, you got that circle videotron circle thing that they have in the middle of the roof. Sky's the limit. The sky is the limit for WrestleMania next year at SoFi Stadium. So my plan is to try to be there if I can. I know Alex, or just Alex, um, uh, just Alex's world, uh, wants to try to be there. But we'll have to wait and see what happens financially and if God is going to lead us down that path to let us have that opportunity. Because, again, like the old saying goes, you know, you can, like the old saying goes, you have to attend at least one of these kind of events once in your life, whether it's a Super Bowl, a World Series, an NBA Finals, or a WrestleMania. You've got to attend one of these once in your life. And this is probably the best opportunity me and a guy like Alex or anybody else has. So anyway, though, guys, that's – so anyway, though, congratulations to SoFi Stadium and Inglewood slash Los Angeles, California for getting WrestleMania. And look forward to seeing it take place next year and how they build to it from a story perspective and character perspective. Anyway, though, guys, uh, that's about it for this day's uh, Topics on My Mind video. Again, sorry for the muted interruption. That was my fault. I must have hit the mute button by accident. So I do apologize for that. And I apologize to anybody listening to it audio-wise for that happening as well. Uh, but anyway, though, guys, that's going to be about it. I've got to get myself ready in just a bit to go to work. Um, I try – you know, his thing, I was going to do a dial a ride, but I figured it's only a 30 minute wait or a 28 minute wait. You know, they might just put me to work anyway. So that's all I can really say. But uh, again, guys, uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for tuning in live. Thank you for the chats in the chat room. Really appreciate it. And thank you all for the, to those watching post live afterwards. And thank you all to those listening to my various podcasts across the board. And if you're wondering where you can find my B.W. Rose's discussion podcast and the series Topics on My Mind, which is part of Uncut, Unscripted, and On the Fly, you can find my podcast at places like Anchor.fm, Spotify, Player.fm, Radio Public, um, Stitcher.com. You can find it at Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio and possibly in the future, iHeartRadio as well. So, and hopefully, as financially, I can get it going at podbean.com. So, again, those are the places where you can find my audio podcast for BW Rose's discussions. Please support the podcast there as well as support this channel if you can. And I also have a Patreon. Check me out at patreon.com under Brian Walmer, B R I A N W A L M E R. And if you want to join, it's only one dollar. The the uh, beginning tier is only one dollar. If you want to help out there, but anyway, though, guys, thank you all for watching live. I really appreciate it. Thank you all for tuning in live, commenting live in the live chat. Thank you all. Really appreciate it. I got to get myself something to eat, as well as put down some of the dog pads for my dog, just in case uh, something happens while I'm gone at work. 
as well as get myself ready overall. So thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. And I am out. God bless. Take care. Have a good uh, rest of your Thursday. I might be back with some videos later on while I wait for the bus, but we'll have to wait and see.